and I was praying much yesterday as to what I should try to share from this morning, seeing it's uh, the beginning of the year and also what the Lord wants, um, what the Lord may want for us to hear from His Word and also what the Lord may um, allow to come out of my mouth. Um, I've not spent a lot of time on this like I would normally do, but I kept praying yesterday, Lord, what do you want? And providentially, I was with our men's group that meets on Saturday mornings. Um, By the way, please, all men in our church, you don't know what you're missing out on. Come and have fellowship with other brothers who are going to pray for you and encourage you to be good dads, husbands, or workers in whatever you do. But yesterday, I had the privilege of sharing with a um, group of of brothers a bit of my own story. And I kind of thought, you know, most of the time I get to exhort from God's Word, which is the most important thing. But it's also important sometimes for you to know who we are and the chinks in the armor, so to speak, and the weaknesses that we might have in, in the process of living out the Christian life. And so I got to share a little bit of my testimony yesterday with them. And it, it, I believe that it was from the Holy Spirit. One of the things I shared was sometimes we tend to be on our track instead of God's track. And sometimes the Holy Spirit nudges you. You ever felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit? That's when this, maybe not an audible voice, but the strong feeling if you're a believer, the Spirit is nudging you towards something. Maybe to speak to someone. Maybe to pause and pray for someone. Maybe to do something. And when we obey the Holy Spirit, it always turns out better than what we had planned first. Because the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need and what needs to be done. So, um, as a New Year challenge, would you listen to God's nudgings? What He has to say? What He may want you to do today? Who may He may want you to reach out to? Maybe pick up the phone. Maybe send a note. Maybe have a direct conversation. God is wanting to do something in our lives. Um, The Lord kept prompting me to this passage in Genesis. Well, after all, Genesis is the very first book, isn't it? So maybe it's good to be in Genesis for a few minutes at the beginning of the year. But this character who we just heard about, Joseph, kept coming up this week, believe it or not in conversations. And so I kept thinking, maybe the Lord is really prodding me to say something about this passage and this character. And uh, so I believe it's a spirit thing. Well, um, I want to uh, ask you a question, and then I'm going to read a quote, and then we'll dive into our passage. So if you have your Bibles, by the way, I know maybe I'm old school here, but bring your Bibles. Um, You can actually see context better if you get to bring your Bibles and see what's before it and what's after it. Now, I know our phones are really uh, awesome, but um, I would encourage everyone to, perhaps if you are able to, to bring your Bibles. So, question for you first. What is the key to all of life? 
what is the most important thing that will make the difference for your life and for your children? So I'm speaking to young people too. This is the secret to life. What is the secret to life? What is the secret to a good life, to a successful life? Now, when I work as a pastor, you know, I often see people who think they're happy, but they're not. I can see a little bit through their eyes, so to speak, and there's discontentment, dissatisfaction, brokenness, um, and although there's this Sunday facade of everything kind of looking okay, it's not. And sometimes I kind of think, by the way, this is true of me and in my own life and family as well, I, I often think, what are we missing? What are you missing perhaps? And do you realize that there is a key puzzle piece to what you have been trying to put together of your life? There is a key piece that makes everything else work. Everything else succeed. Everything else have meaning. Greg spoke last week from Psalm 90 and the prayer of Moses at the very end said, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Can I ask you if you understand what that means? It means looking back on your life and realizing it wasn't all a waste. It means looking back on your life and realizing God did something with it. That God used you. That your life has value. That it was successful. That it was meaningful. That you were a key part in the kingdom of God growing and coming. And so we pray that, Lord, let me not have a regret at the end of my life looking back and say, what did I give my life to? What a waste. I wished I had lived it differently. And so that question, what is the most important key to all of life? The answer is understanding the gospel. Now, you've heard that word a billion times, haven't you? The gospel is the good news, and yet so many people have taken it for granted to understand what it means. Here is a quote from a man that you just heard about from, from Dick which I think was providential as well. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. From a great little book called The Soul Winner. If you've never read any of Spurgeon, I promise you it's not boring. Spurgeon has liner after one-liner, and there's so much meaningful thing. You might think it's dry and tedious. It is not. Spurgeon spoke to the heart. And in his little book, The Soul Winner, which I would recommend to all of you maybe put on your list for this year. Listen to what this says. 1895, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Beloved teachers, may you never be content with aiming at secondary benefits or even with realizing them. May you strive for the grandest of all ends, the salvation of immortal souls. Your business is not merely to teach the children in your class to read the Bible, not barely to inculcate the duties of morality, or even to instruct them in the mere letter of the gospel, but your high calling is to be the means in the hand of God of bringing life from heaven to dead souls. Your teaching on the Lord's Day 
will have been a failure if your children remain dead in sin. Resurrection, then, is our aim. To raise the dead is our mission. Our goal, brothers and sisters as Christians, is always to speak life into people's lives. You know, ordinary conversations around the water cooler, around the phone, or maybe in church, is to speak words that will bring dead souls alive. And that is always aimed at the Gospel. It's always at the heart of the Gospel. Is my title up here? The big deal about Christianity and the heart of the Gospel. Eric told me that's too long. <laughs> and I said, tough, it's last minute. <laughs> the big deal about Christianity is that it is the key to life. It isn't just one more thing. It isn't just one more okay way to live. It is the, the peace that's missing in your life. And the heart of the Gospel my friends, is forgiveness from God and being accepted by God and embracing the love of God and then living that out to others. I know I haven't prayed yet. I'm going to pray in a minute. How are you with forgiveness? Are you still walking around carrying a huge load when instead you can have God's forgiveness to set you free? Many people live in prisons in their own souls because they don't know that freedom. They're actually plagued by guilt and things of the past. But God in Jesus offers forgiveness and acceptance and a love that will not let us go. How are you with forgiving others? Do you know that the, uh, the idea of forgiveness is a hallmark of the Christian faith? That when we understand how forgiven we are, we in turn can actually forgive others who have done lesser things to us than we have done to God. That's the hallmark to having peace and success. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Help, Lord, O oh God, to speak into our hearts and into our lives um, through this very passage because your Spirit is working and, that, and we are your people and you are desiring to feed us and give us exactly what we need this morning. And I pray that we would not miss it, that we would walk away only with your love and affection and forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've shared this before, but I know we have a lot of you people here now too, so I may have shared this several years ago. There was a questionnaire that was spread around American churches uh, asking this question, you know, what do you really want to hear? What's the thing that you most want to hear in your, you know, that you'd love to hear? And the poll came back with three answers. The first one was the words, you might know it and guess it, I love you. It's the number one message that was left on the phones on 
all around the, all around the U.S. The words, I love you. The second is the words, I forgive you. And the third is the food is ready. <laughs> I'll, sa- I'll save that for another sermon. Um, <laughs> yeah, dinner's ready, the food's ready, come and eat. But how amazing for us to know the words, I love you and I forgive you, heard. We are desperate for that, isn't it? This is the story. I thought I would share a story with you, and this is the story in Genesis 45. So I'm going to give a couple of minutes of background for the children, but anyone else who may not have ever heard Joseph's story or, or read it recently, and so for remembrance, I'm going to share this with you. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. He had six half well, actually, 10 half-brothers and one real brother. Okay, so ten half-brothers. Am I saying that right? Yeah, ten half-brothers and one half-brother. Ten half-brothers, one real brother. Yeah. So, he is one of twelve brothers. Their father is a man named Jacob. And when Joseph, who was next to the last, was young and growing up in his house, he was not liked. His brothers were jealous of him. In fact, they hated him because the father favored this young boy. Now, there was another brother that came afterwards. His name was Benjamin, and we'll come to him. But there was animosity. There was jealousy. And so can you imagine this dysfunctional family? By the way, it's not just now, but dysfunctional families existed for generations even back then. These are brothers that probably didn't get along, didn't talk well. Now, there are some reasons Joseph said things that probably irritated them, and maybe timing and tact were missing sometimes, but there were all kinds of reasons, but they were a family that didn't really get along well, and the brothers actually um, tried to kill him. Now, I want you to hear this. They tried to kill their brother. One brother named Judah actually spoke up and said, now after all, he is our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's just get rid of him. So they made a plan to sell him off. Now think about this. This is olden times. They were going to sell him off to a slave trader. And this group of Ishmaelites came along. And while they were out in the fields, uh, Judah suggests this, and the rest of them sort of submitting to Judah says, okay, fine. So they sold him for money. But in the meanwhile, do you know where he was? He was in a pit. They had thrown him into an old cistern, an old well, and he was in that pit, couldn't get out, and he's crying out for them, his brothers, but they're not going to get him out. They actually left him there to die until these Ishmaelites came along and then they sold their brother, their flesh and blood for money. And they say that Joseph was around 17 years old at that time. And for the next 22 years, they did not see him. So Joseph is on this caravan of slave trade caravan and they take him and sell him to another group of people who are called the Egyptians. Now, Egypt is the super powerhouse of the, the superpower in the world. 
And they buy this young man who looks handsome and able to work. And a man named Potiphar, who is a leader in Egypt under Pharaoh, buys him for his household and he starts to work as a slave. And through God's providence, he goes from Potiphar's house to prison for something he didn't do. He was accused of doing something with Potiphar's wife, which he didn't do. And then he was put in prison, and eventually, through one other person who was a prisoner, uh, Joseph gets notification that Pharaoh wants to see him. And so, Joseph comes before Pharaoh and reveals a nightmare, a dream to him. And Pharaoh takes him out of prison and elevates him to a high position in Egypt. Now think about this. He is a Hebrew. Jacob's from Hebron in Israel. He's sold away. He goes to a Potiphar's house as a slave and then goes to prison and now is brought out and elevated to the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. That's what we read. Tell them that I am the father of Pharaoh and the Lord of all Egypt. That's a title that was given to him. And so Joseph is elevated and there's a famine that hits the land. The famine that hits the land hits Israel and Egypt and there's people dying. There's going to be a famine for several more years. So Jacob, the old man, who thinks his son was killed by an animal says to the other brothers, go, go buy food. I hear there's food in Egypt. So the brothers come to Egypt and stand before a man, a king, who can grant them food. So they can buy food from Egypt and go back and feed their families. Otherwise, they're all going to die. And while they stand before the judge, this king, Genesis 45 shows us one of the most dramatic and climactic passages in all of the Scriptures. By the way, even for non-Christians, this passage is called dramatic literature. Even non-Christians look at this story and say, wow, that is an incredible scene. If someone could only make a movie out of that. Now, this is what happens. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there's Joseph standing as an Egyptian in Egyptian garb. The brothers come in as Hebrews, as Israelites, to buy food. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Have you ever seen a court scene? Come on, we're Americans. We're used to this, right? If you're as old as I am, you remember weeks and weeks of court scenes with a gentleman named O.J. Simpson and many, many others, you know exactly what the inside of a courtroom looks like, even if you've never gotten a traffic ticket. And if you say you've never gotten a traffic ticket, you're lying. (laughs) Everyone has seen the inside of a courtroom, or at least have seen pictures of it. And um, imagine looking up 
at the judge and imagine that you're standing there and you're actually the one accused and imagine you're guilty. You are guilty. You're not there by accident. You are guilty. You're standing in the courtroom and you see the judge in front of you. Maybe there's a jury. And you're looking into your judge, you know, right into his face. I had to do this a few months ago. Um, and I looked at him and I was like, Lord, please help him to be merciful. <laughs> help him to be a kind judge. Now, imagine looking up into that judge's face who can grant you life or death, so to speak, and you look at him and you see your worst foe. That's what's happening here. The brothers are standing in front of a man that basically just drops the bombshell and said, I am Joseph. And he says that they were terrified as soon as he said this. And they could not do anything. You know, I'm imagining their eyes are getting big. Their knees are trembling. You ever seen nervous people? All the twitching and shuffling and nervous reactions. They're looking at Joseph in fear now because they just heard these words, I am Joseph. They see the face of their judge and their foe. But you know, the story doesn't stop there. This is a marvelous story. The story continues to unfold in such a beautiful, sovereign, providential, good way. Joseph says to his brothers in verse 3, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer because they were terrified at his presence. Well, of course. Then Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But here again, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So you're standing in that courtroom, right? You're looking. You're hoping for a kind face and the face changes. Can you imagine if you're standing guilty and accused of something and you look and you actually see a friend? Oh, hey, Joe, you're a judge now? Remember when we were kids? And you begin to think, wow, there, there might be a chance for kindness here and mercy here. Listen to Joseph's words, all right? These are the brothers that left him to die. Joseph says, I'm your brother Joseph. Is my father still living? And then he says, come, come closer. Come close. Come close to me. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. You see how he spells it out? You guys... I'm happy to see you, but you guys, I know what you did. You, you sold me away. You're guilty. But then he says, but don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves. By the way, they were always quarreling. In fact, later on in this story, Joseph, when he sends them back, he says, please don't quarrel on the way because I know you're like that. And he says, it was God who 
sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth. By the way, that word remnant is an old word from the Old Testament, um, the patriarchal times. It's remembering God's promise to Abraham to keep his covenant to preserve a group of people to be a great nation. And so Joseph is remembering Abrahamic covenant promises. God sent me ahead of you to Egypt to preserve for you a remnant on the earth so that your lives and your families will not become destitute. Now, if the story ended there, wouldn't you think that's a pretty good story? The friend is going to help them. Now, imagine you're still standing there in that courtroom and you begin to see the face change again. Now look at verse 9 with me. Or I'll read a few. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. Now you've already heard this several times and I'm going to say it again. Joseph is repeating these words on purpose. Go and tell my father. He's not saying, go and tell your father. You, do you know that by this point, he has many times inquired about Jacob by asking these men who were here previously, they didn't recognize Joseph. They've been coming and going back from Egypt several times. And he has said, do you have a father? Is he still living? Many times he has already heard that there is an old man named Jacob still living. But here, notice what he says. Go and tell my father that his son Joseph is telling him this. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. Imagine looking into that judge's face who can grant you life or death and seeing the face change from your foe to a friend to now what? The face of your brother. Does anyone have brothers? Are you a, is anyone here a brother of a brother? Yeah, I am too. Guess what? Sometimes you look at your brother and you kind of think, how did we come from the same person? <laughs> We're so different. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even see eye to eye, right? You like different things. You do different things. So I have a younger brother. He's three years younger than me. We used to be a lot similar when we were younger, but as we grew, we became a lot different. And sometimes we don't even agree on everything, but you learn that that's okay. You don't have to agree on everything, but we're still family. But I do know one thing. If there was something wrong with him, or if there was something wrong with me, they would be here today jumping on an airplane because it's your brother. Imagine looking into the judge's face and seeing the face of your brother. That's what Joseph is saying. Go tell my father. Hey brothers, it is me. Go and tell my father Jacob of all that I've told you and, and what God has done to me. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. And then he says these words. And I'll close in just a few minutes. Verse 10 says, You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you'll become destitute. 
Do you realize that Joseph is basically saying, I want you to go get your stuff and come back so that you can be near me forever? Do you realize that Joseph is saying, I want to see you and I'm going to provide for you because otherwise you're going to die? And if you've ever wondered why little names and words show up in the Bible, it's never without a reason. Do you know that Goshen is in the northeast quadrant of the Nile Delta and probably the most fertile land in all of Egypt? And Joseph basically tells these brothers, not only are you going to go and get your stuff and my father and come back, but I am going to give you the fat of the land and take care of you and provide for you. Can you imagine that? As you look into the judge's face, so the judge's face changes again from that of a friend and a brother to that of their Savior. He says, I'm going to save you. Now, I have to ask a question here. Um, If this was you, be honest. What would you say to these brothers? (laughs) Do you know that there was a moment in Genesis 37, it says that when they had thrown him in the pit, he's crying out, brothers, don't do this. Don't do this. I'm your brother. Please, please. I'm sorry. Get me out. Do you know what they did? They sat down and had a meal. Basically, they sat down and had a nice little picnic while Joseph is crying from the well and pleading with them for his life. Is that evil? That's evil. While he's crying out and pleading, they go ahead and just eat, talk, play cards. Do you think Joseph forgot any of that? Would you? Would you forgive and forget something that harsh? They lied to Jacob and told him that their son was eaten by wolves or torn up by wolves. And they dipped a coat that he had given him into goat's blood and said, your son's dead. Do you think for one moment over those 22 years, Joseph had forgotten any of that? Humanly, no. But here he is saying, you're my brothers. And I'm going to save you. I'm going to provide for you. Okay, two more minutes. Is this just a story? And is, a Joseph, is Joseph just a man? I want to tell you that the beauty of the Christian message is that God repeats Himself and repeats Himself and shows story upon story so that you will understand this. That He loves you and that He will forgive you And that even when you least deserve it, God opens up everything to give you His riches and His blessings when we don't deserve it. Now, think about your life. Is it all perfect right now? Are your ducks all lined up in a row? Your children all behaving? Marriage is perfect? Church is perfect? God does not wait for that. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. This is what it says. But God demonstrates His love 
to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what the gospel is, my friend? What the key and significant piece is that makes everything else make sense? That when you least deserved it, when you were the scoundrels that we are, those brothers were scoundrels. They deserved the dungeon, right? So to speak. Joseph basically says, no, not only do I forgive you because I love you, but I'm going to give you all the best. Everything. You see this? All the granaries in Egypt, all the good, I'm going to give to you. I know you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give you everything. Just come. Come to me. Well, the story ends like this. It says, He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. Now, remember I said there was one brother that was full-blooded? That's Benjamin. Benjamin is the son of Rachel and Jacob, who was the, were the parents of Joseph. So this is his own flesh and blood. He goes to this little bit, this youngest brother, and he embraces him and kisses him and weeps upon his neck. And all the brothers are watching. And you know what they're thinking? Well, sure. Yeah, sure. You're going you're gonna to take care of Benjamin. You're going to love Benjamin. Benjamin never did anything wrong. He's your own flesh and blood. But look at how the verse, the passage ends. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. He goes from the top to the bottom. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali. goes down the line to each of them, puts his arms around them, kisses them, and for the first time, they talk as brothers. Do you know what this picture is? This is a picture of the gospel. So my fear is that many of us walk around and we don't even realize how destitute we are. Many of us think we're fine. Many of us don't know we're starving. We think we're okay because of all the stuff we've piled up, our jobs, our our pretend kingdoms, and all the while we're dying and we refuse to come. But the gospel is this. When we don't deserve anything, the Lord gives us everything in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters who can hear me, um, this is jam-packed. There's so much here. There are so many similarities between Joseph and Jesus. You just have to do a little bit of digging. Joseph sold by his brothers. Jesus rejected by his brothers. Joseph separated from his father. Jesus separated from his father on the cross. Right? Right? Jesus had uh, a foreknowledge of what was going to come and that the Lord would elevate him. The same. There are so many similarities. And I want you to hear these words as we close today. Can you remember Jesus' words when he said, in my Father's house are many mansions and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going to go prepare a place for you and bring you back to myself so that you may be where I am. Doesn't that sound so similar to what Joseph just said to his brothers? My friends, Jesus Christ is your Joseph. Would you embrace that? Forgiveness 
and love and acceptance will set you free. I'm going to say one more time. Forgiveness and love and acceptance will set you free. That's the gospel. And the whole world is dying without it. Would you embrace that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our Joseph. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be our Joseph. We pray that we may come to you in humility and repentance and that you may forgive us and accept us. Lord, provide for us. And we pray that we might share this with everyone in our families, anyone in our neighborhoods. Lord, that you are here and say the same words, come close to me and don't delay. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.